is my beat from Times Square to Columbus Circle. The gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway is my beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. It's April, and the twilight sighs briefly. Broadway assumes the starting position. And chalk line marking the beginning of the race is composed of death of day, edge of night, the thousand kilowatt dash. And for the victor, secret whisperings to be set adrift on evening wind. The light pools spilled from street lamp where wait the undreamed dreams, shedding the wrappings of day, slipping already into the lace of neon and night. On your mark, and bang, the night explodes. Run, kid, run. To the victor... The spoils of April night. And at headquarters, night watch. Small trickle of minor violences to be interrogated, recorded. Conversation concerning other April nightfalls with colleagues. Outgoing tide of night. And somewhere in at the phone call. About my buddy. He's been shot. He's dying. Last friend club on West 41st, car 9th Who is this? Joe Rios, buddy to a dying buddy. You gonna do something about our condition? And go there. And the last friend club is this. Loft festooned with twistings of faded crepe paper. Hand-painted cardboard stating address of nearest Veterans Administration. Of state unemployment office. Of bar and grill with private booths with daily specials for ex-servicemen. And hung on piano wires over improvised stage. Shield of an infantry company. And the man grinning up at it. In case one of the boys gets slipshod about a dose payment. He'll be back in the room, put a spotlight on the shield, remain very quiet. Boy remembers, boy pays. You said... Yeah, yeah, over there. Well, we got a partition for those who seek recreation. Ping-pong table and so forth. Whoever did it must have helped him out of the ping-pong table. Laid this banner over him. It's okay, Harry. Somebody got here. Ambulance is coming, too. They'll move you somewhere. You understand me, Harry? Yeah, uh-huh. I'm sorry. Harry... Uh, Harry Gray. From two blocks down, 1312 West 39th. He was here to our dance earlier. Harry's a very good dancer, the Fred Astaire of the club. Aren't you, Harry? And you found him like... Yeah, just like that I found him. He's scrounging for some? It was a dance, you said. It's late. Everybody's gone. I'll give you the light. I live here. I sleep here. Last friend exec. 80 bucks a month and that's cut over there. You left the dance and came back. I left the dance, took a lady dancer home, came back. Look, huh? my friend's dying. Harry's got a condition. Anybody going to do anything about it? Then the intrusion in squad strength of the men from police technical, whose tactical maneuvers are habit. Measure quickly from point A to wounded man. Roll up the tape and then measure from point B, thereby fixing attempted murder in coordinates. Then assign Harry Gray as property of the interns. Also to be mentioned, the man with the camera, the man with the dusting powder, and the new recruit who walks behind people and peers over shoulders. Area of violence secured. So leave. Two block squad car ride through night's first ebbing. Edge of the world time. Empty time of empty street and window blinds and stars. Find an address and ring a bell. And wait and ring again. The man who answers the door is wearing a top coat over nightshirt, who awakens suddenly when the street lamp makes glints on the police badge, who takes your arm and walks you down the corridor, 
and opens the room that belonged to Harry Gray, then walks away. And the wounded man's room is this, the kitchenette and furniture that comes for $60 a month, embellished with personal touches, a cup for dancing, a nick dagger with a swastika at its handle, and legend printed beneath in pencil, German dagger, Garmisch of Germany. And this, group photograph of soldiers in clean uniforms resting on each other's shoulders and smiling. And suddenly this, a man in the doorway. You just have to be the police. Sure, you are. Who are you? Mark Anderson. Live there, across the hall. What's going on? Harry Gray, a friend of yours. You need bail or something? What's the matter? Trouble. You know what? I've been to high school and everything. A quick fella, very brainy with a brain. I see a cop where a cop never was before, and right away I know trouble. You don't have to tell me trouble. Just the type of... Harry's been shot. Dead? No. How bad? A good chance, either way. Listen... That's not his good friend. We had a war together in Europe. I want to do some... Uh, look, I want to help. What can I do? Who would want to shoot him? I don't know. We were at a dance tonight. The boys, I was there. Della, Harry. Della? My wife. Harry. Harry and his girl. Everybody. Who was the girl with Harry? Nikki. Nikki something. I don't know. Funny name. Foreign. Look, my wife will know. She'll know where Nikki lives, too. My wife's sleeping, but... Come on. Let's go wake Della. And crossed the hall into dark, silent room. And another door opened, and the whispered breathing of a sleeping woman. And the man changes his mind, asks you to wait here. Goes in, closes the door. Della? Uh, uh. Della, honey. In a while comes back, Nikki Kosuri, he says, 2914 West 18th. And Della's too tired, too sleepy for them to go see Harry Gray now. We'll go first thing in the morning. She said, I promise, baby. Now, if there's nothing else, so leave. City at 3 o'clock in the morning time. City running out of sleep. And later in the morning, West 18th Street. And a girl, Nikki Kosuri. Girl in scarlet. Girl in a hurry. Girl on her way to work. I would be late, Mr. Clover. You understood, Miss Kosuri, about Harry's dying. About... Someone wanting to kill him. Yes, I understood. Well... I like Harry. Very much I like him. You were at the dance with him last night and... And it was no fun. I tell you this. A dance and with no happiness. With no laughter. You and Harry didn't have a good time, is that it? I wanted it. For Harry, for me. He wouldn't permit it to happen. He made it bitterness. Do you know why? Miss Kasuri? I think I know. I cannot be sure what is bitterness to men... But I think also it was not I who made it so for Harry. But you know what did. Perhaps. Tell me. I think first I must explain to you Harry. Yeah? A man somehow... Reflections. A man not his own, but a reflection of other men and other men's emotions. I don't understand. The club. The last friend club. And it's dancing. That is Harry's true life. And Mark. Mark Anderson? Mark and Bella. Also Harry's life. To live in the mirror of other men's lives. They're very good friends, I understand. When I first met Harry, it was... He was with Mark. They'd come from war and there was laughter and Harry was very nice. And in the last years, always with Mark. Bella, Mark, Harry, Nicky. Bella, Mark, Harry, Nicky. Look at me. What? Look at me. I... I am a prisoner. Yeah. 
Last night at the dance, I was even more for Harry. And he danced only once with me, and then with others. Then to sit in long talk with Mark, and nothing from me. So I went home, to here, alone. And Harry didn't... He said to me goodbye over his shoulder. And there was for a moment the sum of all the hurt. And I went home. And there's no more hurt. No more anything. He's uh, in emergency hospital. I'm already late for work. Tell Harry sorry. Nikki couldn't make it. Goodbye, Mr. Clover. Oh, come on in, Dennison. Uh, you got something? Yeah, I just had a small talk on the phone with Dr. Sinsky. He called from the emergency hospital. And? And you weren't here, so I took the call. Well, thank you very much for your kindness, Dennison. Very thoughtful. Now, would you mind telling me what Dr. Sinsky had to say? Oh, not at all. He said Harry Gray was going to die. Yeah. Then he said a real strange thing about Harry Gray. Like what? Harry Gray is a man kind of scarred up, like he once was in the way of shrapnel. Small scars, mostly, you know. You've seen them. Well? Up around his neck, the doctor says, there's a piece of shrapnel still in him. Small piece. Might have caused Harry some pain from time to time. What's that got to do? I don't know. Dr. Sinsky just told me to tell you, that's all. So I told you. Oh. Lieutenant Clover's office, Dennis's speaking. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Oh? Mm-hmm. Sure. I'll tell him. Thanks. Mind if I ask you a question, Dennison? Go ahead. Was that call for me? Yeah. Why didn't you just hand me the phone out? <laughs> Look, Danny. What's the matter? Don't you think I can take a Dennison. message? Dennison. What was the message? From emergency hospital. Harry Gray hasn't got a lot of time left. Also his neighbors, a guy named Mark Anderson and wife are by the bedside. Thank you, Dennison. Anytime. Winnie, Dennison. Hey, Lieutenant Clover's on his way downstairs. I have a squad car waiting for the lieutenant. Will you please? Thank you, Sweeney. Martin Fine and David Friedkin, and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Now, supposing you moved into this suburb... Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to rush in this way unannounced, but I have a thought on my mind. Now, as I started to say before, suppose you moved into a suburb, and you moved in at the same time others did. We'll say it's a tract, a big tract. But this neighborhood you've moved into with your wife and family is different. 
Every one of the families has a different background, different education, language, tastes in music, ideas of fairness and justice, different in all respects, even down to their ideas of what type of trees should line the street. What would you do to make this a friendly community? Not necessarily a community where everyone would have to conform to one set of ideas, but a community that would work well together and where the people wouldn't go around hitting each other over the head with shovels or throwing each other into cement mixers. Would you suggest that everyone get together to try to understand each other? Of course you would. And how long do you think it would take? Certainly many years. This is what the United Nations is trying to do in the community of nations. It is man's best hope for peace and justice. In April's early afternoon, Broadway is a street of dappled sunlight. Midday is behind now, and the small shocks are gathering. And in a while, we'll start the long stream down into night. But now is a small time that stays, a lazy time, dedicated to clock watchers, chain smokers, and elbow-prop dreamers. It's the time for gazing out of the window, of trying the other side of the street, of rubbing your back against a lamppost and just standing there for a while and looking. But suddenly a swift cloud scuds in, in front of coming evening, and it's hurry-up time all over again. Back to work. Someone's watching. And for me, work was office. You swing the swivel back around to face the desk and the man on the other side of it. Danny. Danny, it's me. It's Gino. Yeah, Gino, I know. Well, focus on me, Danny. It scares me when you got that faraway look in your eyes. Sergeant. The way you were staring out of the window onto the who knows what strain. Gino, you walked into my office. You had something on your mind. What was it? This last week, every day I come in here the way you are staring. As if you wished you were in another climb or something. Happiness is here, Danny, I assure you. Gino, please. Yes? Do you have something for me? Bits and pieces, bits and pieces. If you'll be so kind. <clears throat> Last night's deceased, Harry Gray, was formerly, according to questionings of friends, a citizen of Oklahoma. But go on. Who came to New York during World War II and enlisted in the Army. After the war, he did choose to stay in New York instead of returning to his native state. What of... else, Gino? Well, let me see here. I have here his employment record of the last five years. Employed for two months as a used car salesman. Employed for 11 days as a canvasser. Three months in a photographic supply house. A week as cab driver. He fired from all those jobs? Quit. From each and every one of them. Detective Dennison has interviewed two or three of Harry Gray's former employers only to get the message that Harry was a good worker, but one day failed to show up for work. Restless must have been the word for Yeah. Now anything else? Merely that uh, Harry and Mark Anderson were the best of buddies, each going to bat from time to time for the other. Also this. Harry was under medical care for some kind of ailment. Well, he was sickly? What? Well, according to my notes, two of Harry's friends remarked upon the fact that Harry would sometimes get a pain in his arm or shoulder in the middle of a conversation and start yelling for the doctor. That jibes with a little piece of information. Which doctor's but... name and address I give you now? As dug up by the diligence of Detective Dennison. Oh, Danny, sorry I interrupted. What were you saying? Nothing, you know. Thank you very much. <laughs> 
uptown now and turn into the wide avenue where sun shines brighter and marble glows greener and traffic islands, well-tended gardens rooted in asphalt, railed with iron stakes and breathing the rich mixtures sown by exhausts of long, low, yellow convertibles. Avenue of dormant, withering canopies and polished brass nameplates clinging to stone. Find the one that has Dr. Theodore Lawrence etched into it. Check for the uniformed man who flings fringe of epaulets in a direction which, when explored, becomes office of Avenue Doctor, which contains this. Magazine folios from Italy and France and Vienna in calculated disarray on tables of wrought iron and marble. Arrangement of polished driftwood and serene camellias. Tall, blonde nurse whose voice is modulated to the rustle of the white silk she wears, who asks your name, leans close and asks you your trouble. Takes them through a door, comes back, says you will be seen now. And the inner office contains music piped in from some long-playing record. Therapy for well-groomed ailments which have been waiting in the outer office. The man who lifts his head from supporting spans of finger and sees you. To this moment, the tragedy of Harry Gray seemed almost distant. Now that you've injected it... Dr. Lawrence, nothing to do about it save react to it again, receive it again, respond to it again. Mr. Clover? Yes? Harry was fine. He was brave. And he died an unheroic and rather ugly death. For all these things of Harry's, I grieve. And others, known only to me. Then you'll want to help us for Harry? In any possible way I can. You've known him long? It was one of those things in our city once, several years ago. What things? Oh, you know, one of those conventions. I took time off to watch it on Fifth Avenue. In the parade. Gallant men walking against withering cold. That's how you met Harry in a parade? One of the men fell of exhaustion. It was Harry who fell. And fortunately, I was there, and I could go to him. Several years ago. Yes, six, to be exact. And you've treated him ever since. Obviously, you must have known that, or you... And may I interrupt, Doctor? Please do. The shrapnel in his neck, that's what you were treating him for. Which gave him some pain. At first, at rather strange intervals. But then... Then what? That little piece of shrapnel in his neck. An oversight by the army surgeons who dug a lot of shrapnel out of him... But this little piece stayed. It was nothing, really. Couldn't something have been done about it? Yes, they could have. But you didn't do it. I could fence with you, but I tell you right out. Harry wouldn't let me. Would not permit it. For the reason Harry said to me... Said to me... Said what? I was only trying to phrase it as he did. Harry said, You take that scrap metal out of my neck, Doc. I stop being a hero. And he said something else. You want to hear? Yes. He said, I got a souvenir, Doc. Nothing, nobody takes it from me. I'm that fond of it. One more question. As many as you like. This office, where it is, you, expensive. Harry was a gallant man. Harry was what he was. I made an arrangement in my feet with him. Just that one question? Yes. Thank you. Good day, Mr. Clover. So leave the doctor now, head bowed down again to the cradle of his fingers. Outside, and the night, find a restaurant that advertises a specialty of charcoal-broiled steaks, but is all out of steaks tonight when you finally get a table. But the chicken is fine, you're assured, and it is, although slender. So pay the check, leave the tip, and outside again. 
Squad car ride again. Cross town now to East 41st. Last friend club. And that badge admits you any place, mister. Yes, sir. The fellas at the green felted car tables are just playing for chips. And everybody's just here to enjoy a quiet evening. You can see that for yourself. Then ask a question. Pose a man's name. Joe Rios. Man who a couple days ago phoned in a call that a man here was dying. Ask to see Joe Rios. Be taken to him. This way, mister. Joe's in back having a beer. Hey, Joe. Policeman Joe. Know him? Oh, hello, Clover. Wants to talk to you. Want to talk to me, Clover? I've been wondering. You went around before. Have a seat. You want some beer? Johnny, get him some uh, Forget it. Forget it, Johnny. Uh, you sit down, too, Johnny. Now, what, Clover? More about Harry, Joe. Oh, yeah. Johnny? Uh-huh. Did you like Harry? Not much. What a way to talk. He's dead, Johnny. I didn't like him very much. Why not? What do you think about that, Joe? Why didn't I like him? Well, Harry wasn't likable. Maybe that's why, huh? Yeah, yeah. Mr. Clover, Harry wasn't like... Why do you boys kill him? You kill him, Johnny? No. You, Joe? Nah. Who did? Who would want to kill him, Joe? Harry was a hero, Clover. No one wants to kill heroes. What do you mean? Hero, H-E-R-O. Save the buddy's life. Makes heroes. Right, Johnny? The best way to be one. East side of the Rhine, Clover. All of us. We just crossed. Ambush. Grenade got tossed. Harry got in the way of it. Between the grenade and Mark. Saved Mark's life. Yeah, Mark appreciates it. Would you say so, Johnny? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so, too. Faster than you, Johnny. Well, I, I, I was just thinking that's all. Oh. Yeah. Thinking. <laughs> How about that, uh, that Atlantic City thing? <laughs> yeah, Atlantic City. <laughs> Mike got married, Clover. Mary Teller took her down to Atlantic City for a honeymoon. Two days later. What happened? Harry showed up, stayed the rest of the week with him. Joe. Uh -huh. Harry couldn't hold a job. How did he live? Where'd he get his money from? Well, we just told him, didn't we, Johnny? Well, sure we did. We just told you, Clover. Thanks, Clover. Anderson? Yes, what uh, is You don't recognize me, do you? Mark? Mark, come here. Mark, this man, he says I should recognize him. Sure, sure, I know him, Della. Who? In the hospital when Harry died. You were upset, you don't remember. Mr. Clover's a policeman. Oh, come in, Mr. Clover. <laughs> Honey? Is this the man? What man? You were going to wake me? You changed your mind? When... Yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Hello. You going to miss Harry, Mrs. Anderson? Well, what do you think? He was my husband's friend. Wasn't he your friend, Mark? You see? Of course I'm going to miss him. Can't be the same without him. Everything... Hello. Everything's changed. We hardly know what to do with ourselves. We sit. We wait for the door to be flung open and for Harry to walk in. It doesn't... Cut it out, Della. All right, Mark. 
I was just telling Mr. Clover how Stella, much... I said cut it out. All right, Mark. I said all right. You saw her at the hospital, Mr. Clover. You saw how upset she gets. You just asked the wrong question, that's all. But all I got out of it was that your wife said you hardly made a move without Harry. Come on. Well? Well, what? That's what she said, wasn't it? Listen, you... Harry saved your life, didn't he? That's right. Sure, he did. Harry was very brave. He brought Mark home to me, you always say. Don't you always say, Mark? Stella. All right, all right, all right. And he never let you forget it, did he? Tell him, Mark. Mr. Clover? Yeah? Harry never let Mark forget it. Even carried around a piece of the pain with him, didn't he, Mark? If it wasn't for Harry, I'd be dead. That shrapnel. He saved it. Wouldn't let it be taken out. A reminder for you. You know what he'd do? If it wasn't for Harry, I'd be dead. Listen to me. You know what he'd do? That piece of metal under his skin? Whenever it had hurt a little, Harry'd come over. Touch it, Della. Della, if it wasn't for Harry, I'd be dead. Who's dead now, Mark? I don't know what you're talking about. Just answer me. Who's dead? Harry! Harry's dead. Yes. Did you kill him, Mrs. Anderson? No. Mark. Mark, darling. What? You didn't have the courage. I did it. I killed him, Mr. Clover. He has the courage to say he did it, but he didn't do it. Tell me about it, Mrs. Anderson. Harry? Well, you know most of it. Mark owed him everything, paid him everything. We had room, food, clothes, everything he needed. Everything he needed, Mark, that we could give him. The other night, the other night, after the dance, I told him to wait, that I'd be back. He didn't want to. You know that, Mark? I, I don't know what... I had to plead with him. He met me. I shot him. Mark? Mark, I just gave you your life back. So thank me, baby. In the springtime, night sighs down on Broadway like a rosy promise. And someone smiles and takes your hand, whispers... And then the lights are brighter, the noise louder, and your scream mixes well with the scream of night. It's Broadway. The gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway. My beat. Broadway's My Beat stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover, with Charles Calvert as Tataglia and Jack Crucian as Muggerman. The program is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with musical score composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. In tonight's story, Mary Jane Croft was heard as Della and Whitfield Connor as Mark. Featured in the cast were James McCallion, Lillian Bias, 
Hi, Everback and William Johnstone. Bill Anders speaking. Broadway is my beat has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. For the past 55 minutes, you've been listening to the best in radio drama with Theater 5 and Broadway is my beat. Join us again Monday night at the same time, 9.05 when FBN presents Dragnet and X-1. If you're considering applying for either a hardship discharge or a compassionate reassignment, be smart. Get it right the first time by visiting your local Red Cross field director. Red Cross can save you time and trouble by advising both you and your family on what documents you'll need and what information they should contain. Your local Red Cross field representative is a good person to know. Serving American forces everywhere, the American National Red Cross.